Will you please shut down the system? Hold on to your butts. Not treating yourself far. Uh, I'm feeling straighter than I ought to be, but <laughs> pride really do be like that sometimes. It do be like that. So I'm wearing my Jurassic Park hoodie, which I am going to be wearing tomorrow to go see Jurassic World. Oh shit! Uh, are you are you excited for it? I got the press screener, motherfucker. It doesn't matter if I'm excited about it. There it is. There it is. That trailer looks fucking dire. Like, the more I'm looking it, at it, the it more I'm terrible. like, ugh. I asked myself, why Why is the black woman showing her midriff in the Arctic? It's, uh, it's a bird dinosaur. It's, it's going real strange over there, man. Well, I feel like I like the idea of, like, what if we actually had to deal with dinosaurs? Like, this thing happened, right? And we all have to just deal with it now. It's like... Yeah. A premise I don't hate, however, comma, that doesn't mean I trust the people who are making this movie to do it right. I'll be very honest. They've only made one good Jurassic Park movie. <laughs> like, like, all these, these fucking spinoffs, like, none of these shits have been good. I'll be Have you watched um, Camp Cretaceous on Netflix? I, I think Camp that. Cretaceous is the best thing that they've done. Where it's a sleepaway camp that is at Jurassic World for, like, dinosaur kids. Okay. And uh, they are supposed, like, and, but it's happening during the events of Jurassic World. Is that a cartoon? Yes, it is a cartoon. This is way more interesting than anything that happened in that movie. I describe The Lost World as the only soulless Steven Spielberg movie. It's 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 not good. It's really not. I I like it better than the first one because it at least tries to be a different genre. It tries like, for the haunted house thing. Do you like Lost World better than the original Jurassic Park? No, I'm talking about the Jurassic World movies. Completely different stratosphere, homie. We are oh, not. Right. Okay. We are. We are. <laughs> you you're like wait. You don't like Major League Baseball, and I am saying I am at a t-ball game. Like, they named the other one's Lost World when there's already a Lost World. Isn't it Fallen Kingdom? It's yeah, Fallen but Kingdom. But people use the shorthand interchangeably, which is wrong, so. Isn't it like, three worlds? It's, like, Lost World, Jurassic Park, then it's, it's Jurassic, Jurassic World. Jurassic Park, colon, the Lost World. No, the other way around. It's the Lost no, World. No, it is not. I'm looking at it right now on HBO. Hold on, no, hold on, hold on. Yep. Jurassic Park 2, colon. Wait, when I clicked on the tile, it went in the other direction. But I the, so it says Jurassic Park, colon, The Lost World, and then I clicked into the movie to look at it, and now it says The Lost World, colon, Jurassic yeah, Park. Yeah, it's, it's wrong. HBO's it's, wrong. It's both. 
No, it's Cat. As someone who saw it in 1997. As it, someone and, who wasn't born in 1997. According to not. the Jurassic Park site on Wikipedia, it has it listed as both ways, and in parentheses, both correct. Happy Pride Month. It goes both ways. <laughs> I'm wondering if it was perhaps released differently in like the UK or whatever, so they're both like listed. Uh, I don't know. Well, this is America. This is America. As much as I wish it fucking wasn't. <laughs> I don't. I don't see it. <laughs> I don't see this. Anyway, we're getting. We got mega sidetracked. Extraordinarily sidetracked. Uh, yeah, no, no, we're talking about, I am talking about Jurassic World, and the, then Jurassic World, colon, Fallen Kingdom. Fallen Kingdom. So we are, okay. none of these are the park movies. There is no park. We are not talking about parks. No parks. So what's this new one called? Jurassic World, colon, Dominion, I think. <laughs> so terrible. So bad. So fucking bad. Yeah, I think the Jurassic World colon Fallen Kingdom <laughs> is better than the first one. But that is like saying trash is better than trash that's on fire. The thing that I liked about whatever the fuck, uh, Lost World, no, Fallen Kingdom, there we go, uh, is that it just like partway through is like, and it's now a haunted house movie. <laughs> So for my letterbox review of uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, I don't know if Fallen Kingdom falls into the good, bad movie category because it's absolutely terrible, but I can't turn away. Big car crash on the highway vibes. (laughs) Yeah, I think the first one, like the first half of that movie is ass. And then the back half where it's the haunted house and it's really focusing on like the little kid. Still ass, but not nearly as much ass as the rest of the movie. Oh, and the, like, gear shift on that is really weird. Yeah, you didn't rate it on Letterboxd. I, I didn't I gave, have Letterboxd then. I gave Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom two and a half stars with no heart. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I think they're both two and a half star movies for different reasons. Yeah, I, I remember the first one being Ultra Vanilla. And well, it's, just it's like, boring. A movie yeah. about dinosaurs shouldn't be boring, but instead they're like, oh man, you know what we want to see? The divorce. You know what I didn't want to see? The divorce. But also like this very like horrible rattled performance of Ian Malcolm, like as this like hor- like changed man who's like a shell of himself. Honestly, some really spectacular acting from Goldblum. I'm so frustrated it's in such a shit movie. Is that on Jurassic World or Fallen Kingdom? Yeah, that's uh, Jurassic World, colon, Fallen Kingdom. (laughs) Worlds are colliding in a terrible way. Because, like, in that one, they're like, do you, like, think they should have ever opened the park at all? And he's like, no, are you shitting me? And, like... He's, like, very, like, rattled, and, like, he's his his stammer is not, like, suave anymore. It's very, like, shell-shocked and, like, broken, and it's really quite solid, actually. Considering that once in a while people are like, oh, Jeff Goldblum can't act. People just keep hiring him because he's hot. Like, uh, I wouldn't. Well, yes, he's attractive, 
but can't act? I wouldn't go that far. That's well, funny. the thing that drives me insane is, like, I have a, a poster of him, actually. You can't see it from here, but it's, like, right over there. Uh, as the Grandmaster, that next partner of mine bought me because he was like, ah, you want to masturbate to Jeff Goldblum. And I was like, no, I just want him oh, to be oh. my dad. Like, I want Jeff Goldblum to invest in my art and tell me he's proud of me. Like, I have no That's desire to, like... Sense romantically entangle myself with Jeff Goldblum. I just want him to be like, good job, sport. I'm proud of you. I think that's a lot of people who are under 30, but <laughs> that's a wild thing to say to somebody. You want to masturbate to Jeff Goldblum, don't you? And like, I was like, thank you for the nice picture. Jeez. Thank you. Well, the Grandmaster is a character I, I honestly, like, I enjoy a great deal. So, like, that's fine. But, like... I was like, oh, man, thank you for this, like, picture of my dad slash man I would like to be my friend. There it is. Did you saw Jurassic Park? I have not yet. I have it just loaded up and ready to go. All right. Go ahead, uh, go ahead and press play. All right. Three, two, one, go. Yeah. I really do think that this is, like, I got to see this movie in theaters. I'm going to just, like, pour one out and be sad for a second because my favorite movie theater in Boston did not survive the pandemic. Damn. The Arclight used to do a free classic movie every day in January. February, it was February. And uh, I got to see Jurassic Park on the big screen because of that, which was really cool. Nice. Damn, b- both of our favorite movie theaters got clapped, man. That's fucking sad. Mm-hmm. But speaking of, well, not necessarily sad. To me, it's actually a fond memory the reason that I wanted to watch Jurassic Park tonight is because I did see this in the movie theater when it came out. And uh, the reason why it kind of holds a special place in my heart, other than being a spectacular fucking movie, is this was, I think I'm very certain this is the very first movie my big brother ever, t- ever took me to go see. And he was dating some woman at the time who had a kid. And it was the three of us that went. And I was, like, a couple of years older than this kid. Uh, When this came out, I was Mm seven-ish. And I was so scared that I, I like, covered my eyes during, like, the the dinosaur attacks in the beginning. I vividly remember, like, that's the only, like, movie. I remember, like, being, I'm older than this young kid, and he's not scared of it at all. Like, what the hell am I doing? And so... If he's a couple of years younger than you, right? He's probably yeah. at that age where he's like, OMG, dinosaurs. And doesn't basically. quite realize that dinosaurs are like a little scary yet. Yeah, basically. So my exposure to this, much like Terminator 2, my first exposure to Jurassic Park was a theme park ride. Hilarious. On brand, very on brand. Yeah, a... Uh, at a certain point, a, a person I was dating in college uh, took personal umbrage to the fact that I had been on the Jurassic Park River journey, uh, but I had not seen Jurassic Park. And I think I may have also seen had seen Jurassic World at that point. I can't remember if I saw that first. I don't think I did. I think it was close, though. And uh, he sat me down and made me watch Jurassic Park on the shittiest laptop screen I've ever watched a movie on. Hilarious. And I watched Jurassic Park, Alien, and Hocus Pocus in one weekend on a shitty laptop. (laughs) (laughs) And those are movies, at least two of the three, that you should see them on good televisions. I just got an Ultra HD TV. 
Alright, okay. And apparently HBO Max will, will stream it in 4K, so that is what it, I'm watching right now. It and, will. And uh, it is beautiful, but also they're doing the shoot her, shoot her! And you can, like, <laughs> see this man's plaque. <laughs> I could take dental impressions of that man just by you, looking at him in HD. The funny thing is, when we, when we saw this in the movie theater, we were actually late and we missed that scene. Ha! <laughs> So, like, when we got to the theater, we came to, like, when he, when, uh, when the capitalist lawyer went to the island. That's the first thing I, I saw in this movie. It wasn't until after that I found out that a black, another black guy got clocked in this, so. It's really interesting because the, the breakdown of who dies in the book is very different. Talk about it a bit. In the book, uh, some of the characters are the same that dies. I believe Ian Malcolm dies. Let me explain how it starts, though. It starts with these little tiny dinosaurs uh, getting on the back of a boat and making landfall in Brazil and eating babies. Oh, my. Like breaking into a hospital and eating babies. (laughs) All right. So, like, that's kind of the the thing that we're dealing with here. Just for, for, uh, like, context here. I do think that's kind of important. And The Lost World is actually based on a novel as well. So, like, you can blame Spielberg a little bit, but, like, some of this is just the shortcomings of the source material. Yeah. And I do think that's worth just, like, acknowledging here. I think it the Lost World works a lot better as a book than it does as a movie because it's a lot more about, like, looking at screens to find the little girl's tracking beacon than it is, like, doing things. They blow up the island, but there are already nice. some that are, like, have gotten away. Hammond dies, mm. and it's, like, pretty gross and aggressive. He's uh, picked to death by like thousands of little dinosaurs. Jesus. Uh, basically like everybody who works on staff dies. Malcolm is g- severely injured, spends the rest of the novel slowly dying. He also has a lot of like weird morphine induced like rants and screaming. <laughs> that's that's a little brand for Gobo. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I remember him like screaming a lot. And uh, the power runs out because they're using generate or like a ba- a backup battery. The Velociraptors escape. Doctor Wu dies. Grant and the children finally like get back to where everybody is. Then the thing happens, and then they find out that they can have eggs. Hammond gets picked apart by like a pack of Procompagnathus. Oh, a shizzle. Yeah. And then uh, they realize, oh, shit, frogs can transition if there aren't enough of either species, like, or either gender. Shout out to Bride, man. So some of them flipped into a different environment. So they thought they got all the dinosaurs, but they only got all the adult dinosaurs. There's still a bunch of baby dinosaurs running around. And uh, then they raise the island with napalm. (laughs) There are a bunch in the Costa Rican jungle. Yeah. So there's just still dinosaurs. The end. Imagine Spielberg doing a movie where kids get disemboweled by dinosaurs and napalming an entire island. The kids are <laughs> fine. The kids still make it. You said in the hospital. Oh, babies. Yeah, okay. The, yes, oh, well, babies, babies yeah. die. I misspoke. Spielberg in, killing babies. In fairness, I'm watching the scene where Alan Grant just, like, decides to murder a child. That doesn't look very scary. More like a six-foot turkey. <laughs> turkey, huh? Oh, no. Okay. Try to imagine go. yourself in the Cretaceous period. You get your first look at this six-foot turkey as you enter a clearing. He moves like a bird, lightly bobbing his head. 
And you keep still because you think that maybe his visual acuity is based on movement like T-Rex. And he'll lose you if you don't move. But no, not Velociraptor. You stare at him, and he just stares right back. And that's when the attack comes. Not from the front, but from the side. From the other two raptors, you didn't even know were there. Because Velociraptor's a pack hunter, you see. He uses coordinated attack patterns, and he is out in force today. And he slashes at you with this. Six-inch retractable claw, like a razor, on the middle toe. He doesn't bother to bite your jugular like a lion, see? No, no. He slashes at you here, or here. Or maybe across the belly spilling your intestines. The point is, you are alive when they start to eat you. So, you know, try to show a little respect. Okay. So good. So good. Did I send you the TikTok of the guy who was dressed as Alan Grant, where he's like, I heard someone saying something incorrect about dinosaurs, and it's him picking up the talon and, like, angrily walking for, like, miles <laughs> Because it's very funny. I mean, that tracks. That tracks. Look at Laura Dern and her bucket hat. So, so just, cute. Look at Laura Dern. Basically. But yeah. Oh, the other thing is they make a really big deal of being like the lawyer is actually a really nice guy. And like he's trying to get home early for his daughter's birthday. <laughs> that's a miles apart from this book and uh like he he is basically just there because like it's his job and he has been telling hammond this is a bad idea from the start but seeing as steven spielberg named the robot shark from jaws after his lawyer, <laughs> lawyer. i think yeah. it's safe to say he's maybe not the biggest fan of lawyers in this movie and in the lost world we just be watching them die, I guess. Hey, hey. Spielberg does not have time for capitalists. He really just does not. No, but he also, like, he kind of does. Because in a bunch of ways, like, John Hammond, even though, like, this is a mistake, is still presented as this, like, altruistic, like, guy. Yeah. Like, he very much is the benevolent capitalist who has made one mistake. Yeah, it's a very big mistake, but yes, absolutely. He brought champagne, he's funding their expedition, like, he... I mean, he looks like fucking Santa Claus, for God's sake. How could you say no to him? Yeah, and he's meant to evoke, like, Walt Disney, but also a little bit of, like, venture capitalists from, like, I would say pre-40s America. You know, so yeah. the, the Fords and the uh, Carnegies and that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. So even just in that as like an Amer- uh, an American nostalgia hard on, like <laughs> he 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 is he's dressed like Panama Jack is what he's dressed like. He's, he is dressed like that bygone time that we all like like all those people who want to support those things that directly affect billionaires, like think they will become. Yes. They're like, oh, I'm just one good luck away from literally being John Hammond in Jurassic Park. <laughs> Which yes. is a terrible thing to aspire to, but also like, is it? Like you think John that you work with, Jerry that you work with, is really gonna not try to build a dinosaur park if he is suddenly like rich beyond <laughs> or he's gonna build like gun world or whatever. Like it's nothing 
<laughs> Nothing that they do is going to be good. I mean, yes. <laughs> I agree. So it kind Absolutely, of makes sense that, like, in the book, he's picked apart by, like, a group of dinosaurs because it's all a metaphor for a death by a thousand cuts, which what Jurassic Park actually is for his reputation. Yeah. Two of my three favorite scenes in this movie are just people just completely telling him the truth about himself. The lunch scene and then the, the dinner scene with him and Laura Dern, like, those two scenes are really good. You know the first attraction I ever built when I came down from Scotland? It's a flea circus, Petticoat Lane. Really quite wonderful. We had uh, a wee trapeze and a uh, uh, um, carousel. And a seesaw. They all move, motorized, of course, but uh, people would say they could see the fleas. Oh, I can see the fleas, mummy, can't you see the fleas? Clown fleas and high wire fleas and fleas on parade. This place, I wanted to show them something that wasn't an illusion, something that was real, something that they could. See and touch. The name not devoid of merit. But you can't think through this one, John. You have to feel it. <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely right. Having Nedry was a mistake. That's obvious. We're over-dependent on automation. I can see that now. Now the next time everything's correctable. John. Creation is an act of sheer will. Next time it'll be flawless. It's still the flea circus. It's all an illusion. When we have control again. You've never had control. That's the illusion. I was overwhelmed by the power of this place. But I made a mistake too. I didn't have enough respect for that power and it's out now. The only thing that matters now are the people we love. Alan and Lex and Tim. John, they're out there where people are dying. The lunch scene is really cool because you can see concept art for the attraction in the slideshow going on. Yep. They started developing this attraction like concurrently with the movie, which is really uncommon. It's rarely do studios have so much faith in a project. Think about it this way. In 2014, the Little Mermaid ride opened at Disney. I mean, yeah. Well, I will say Universal did have E.T., I do mm-hmm. remember that going as a fucking kid. They had Jaws uh, too. They they oh, like yeah, Jaws. Yep. well, they yep. had a lot of faith in Spielberg, I think. And like Disney yep. after Disney never really had like a, a guaranteed hit maker in that same way. But that's kind of beside the point. So my favorite story about can I just tell a quick story about the Jurassic Park attraction though? Sure. Is Steven Spielberg was on the first boat because you know hello. And uh, it got to the top of the hill where there's a big drop at the end and the boat stopped and he got off. He refused oh. to do the big drop. He wanted to do as much of the ride as he could. So he walked down the stairs and got off there. And that is the only time that has ever happened. Is he like afraid of heights or he just wanted to walk the trail? No, nah, he just didn't want to do the drops. You have to go down like industrial stairs in the back. You don't get to like go down the stairs where the dinosaur is. 
Did he ever say why? He just doesn't like drops. So he was just like, I'm just not going to do this one. That okay? And everyone was like, whatever you say, Mr. Spielberg, sure. We will uh, make that happen for you. Hilarious. That's funny. What's your favorite scene in this movie? I really like the first time that they see the dinosaurs. Oh, oh, man. That is a scene that I revisit often. Just like whenever I'm sad, I'll skip to like, I think it's 27 minutes in and just like watch that. You did. You crazy son of a bitch, you did. Man, in 93, in a movie theater too, this shit was so mind-blowing, man. It was so great. But I also think that the the raptors in the kitchen, because first of all, I think that's the first time that the kids, you see the kids working together. Yeah. And I really like that because it shows growth in both of their arcs. Like one of them doesn't have to win anymore. They both have to win. Yeah. It's also the first time I think we see, uh, is it Bex is the old, the sister who's, who's very like, that's my baby brother. Like she, that's like when you see her start to like care about him like that and not just like, Oh, that's my baby brother. When they start to like each other better, it makes sense that like you see all the things that have kind of been falling into place throughout all this, like actually start to land with them. Uh, which I really like. I love the raptor puppets. I'm aware that they're not what raptors actually would look like. <laughs> yeah. I I, uh, I took a college class. I don't know if I ever told you this, actually. I took a college class about the philosophy of paleontology. Because there's a lot of really interesting, like, arguments about who owns things. And, you know, who who gets history. Like, who owns history. And, you know, stuff like that that you can really dig into, especially as it comes to, like, you know, it's one thing if it's a society, you kind of, like, know where they were or what happened. But, like, because the time of the dinosaurs was so long ago and the globe has literally shifted so much, yeah. like, who owns things? How do you know where people used to like, like there, there it's uh, how do you know where dinosaurs used to live? It's really interesting and really cool. And also, like, a bunch of stuff about, like, oh, well, like, women can't be Dr. Ellie Sattler is a paleobotanist. Yeah. She is not a paleontologist Yeah. because it was incredibly pervasive at the time that the novel was written and even still when the movie was written and even still today that like women can't do dinosaurs, basically. Yeah. They're like, oh, they, they like are big and eat things and roar. They're men. All of them. <laughs> yeah. Which is like the stupidest shit. But like it, it was still a factor and a consideration. And you even kind of see this in this where like. Malcolm is hitting on her and finally Grant is like, we're together, even though they're like definitely not together, but he's just trying to get her to, they're not together. Um, (laughs) If you told me like they fucked one time when they were both lonely, like on a mission, I'd be like, I fine. But like, I don't think they're like together together. Uh, I think think... their relationship at the end of the day reminds me a lot more of like me and Matthew's than me with any of my other, like, any romantic partner I've had. Have where, you seen because, the Jurassic Park? No, and I won't. They confirmed that they were a thing. Oh, okay, well, the so I believe that Jurassic World 3 has been retconned. Jurassic World, or, yeah, Jurassic, Jurassic Park 3 is retconned, Jurassic Park 2 is retconned, and Jurassic Park 1 ends with them choosing to open the park anyway, because... In Jurassic World, they say that the park was open for a while, and then a bad thing happened, and all the dinosaurs ate people, and they died. Oh. Uh, 
I'm not watching Jurassic Park 4, so I'm going to believe you're telling the truth. <laughs> Jurassic World 3, which is the sixth Jurassic movie total. Oh, my God. Such a juggling act with these shitty movies. <laughs> but actually, I want to talk about your point that you made about the siblings and how it eventually grew into like this kind of real kind of big sister, little brother dynamic. I think my favorite scene is still the the t-rex attack like it's it's masterfully done man like i i still remember seeing that shit in the movie theater like how do they turn this fantasy into a horror flick in the in the drop of a hat like it was so great man It is great. And the, the little subtle things that they do, like with the water, the way that the water has turned from this like weird, flirty, kind of invasive thing to like an arbiter of like actual pants shitting terror. Yeah. I think is, is really cool. Yeah. That became a pop culture. It's like staple. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah no, I the there are a couple on. movies and Jurassic Park is one of them where I feel like I've seen the movie parodied numerous times before I've, I saw the whole movie. But I'm trying to think of how to phrase this, like, exactly right. Some of the horror of the Jurassic movies are just how long it takes people to learn. Well, that that makes sense. I Um, agree. I feel the same way about the Jurassic World movies, except the Jurassic World movies don't frame that as horror. Like, they still (laughs) frame, like, the girl who was in charge of the theme park who, like, thought really believed in the mission as, like, she's a good girl. Care like she's she's one of the good ones and I'm like this is directly her fault. <laughs> like people are dead because she was good at PR and now they are here. <laughs> like, oh, but she's still like framed as a good character and like a good person and like no at the end of this movie John Hammond is framed as a guy who made a really terrible mistake. He's still yeah. kind of a good person in like the eyes of the movie. But, like, this is considered a really terrible mistake. Yeah. The only character that I feel has any sort of redemption arc in the first Jurassic World movie is Blue, the velociraptor. <laughs> because she's being all sassy and insubordinate. And she's like, uh, you're not my real dad, Star-Lord. Uh. And then he's like, you're right. Like, I'm not your real dad. Go do whatever the fuck you want. And then at the last minute, she's like, you're not my real dad, but I care about you. And it's like, great. Thank you. Hilarious. Like, I I like Blue. Blue's good. Apparently, Blue has a child in this new movie. And his, her name is Beta or, or, or his name. I don't know <laughs> the gender of this dinosaur. I'm not here to assume anybody's gender. Happy Pride, Mom. Am I going to am I going to do an edible and write a review of this movie? <laughs> Of course you are. <laughs> it's really starting to look that way. Sadly, Kit Caccinetti did not enjoy the edible. In fact, no edibles were done. In her one and a half star review of Jurassic Park, Dominoes, less men talking, more dinos, please. And she went to go on to say, and I quote, Jurassic World Doritos Los Tacos 
was far and away the most boring thing I've sat through in a long while. Back to the show. Which one is the movie where the guy is fleeing, but he's double-fisting margaritas? First of all, that is icon and legend, Jimmy (laughs) Buffett. (laughs) And that is in the original Jurassic World, because they, it is canon that there is a Margaritaville on Isla Nublar. Nice. And that is listed as a location on the Margaritaville website. (laughs) There is a video of Jimmy Buffett as the bartender at that bar playing with dinosaur puppets. And I think about that a lot. But also at the Universal Park. So they now have a Jurassic World section in Hollywood. It's still Jurassic Park in Florida. I prefer the Jurassic Park section because I think it's it's really cool. The Jurassic World one looks nice. Like, I get what they're doing there. But the Jurassic World section has Isla Nubar, which, like, that that <laughs> shit writes itself. Um, I mean, I know the margarita is, like, $22 a piece, man. You can't let that shit spill. But also, like, if you're going to die, might as well give that, like, weird Tyrannosaurus-headed Pteranodon alcohol poisoning. <laughs> like there's a there's a t-shirt they sell in Maine every summer that says the last mosquito that bit me was hung over for a week. Like that's really what he was trying to do. Hey, I also, I think I the, the thing that they try to do with the Jurassic World movies is that they try to predicate that bringing the dinosaurs back to life is not the bad thing. The bad thing is when they try to like hybridize them and build their own, uh, which is uh, Not the answer. The thing that is so nice about the Jurassic World movie and even like the morals of Jurassic uh, Park 2 and 3 are like, hey, don't play God. Hey, this is what happens if you play God. Sucks, doesn't it? And then Jurassic World is like, all right, so what if you played God and it went fine? So you decided to play God a second time. But this time you decided to like take your little kitchen chemistry set and make yourself a little cocktail dinosaur. But the little cocktail dinosaur is the only one with any problems because you made too good of a dinosaur. And it's like, do you really think the American public is going to watch this movie and be like, yeah, we shouldn't make dinosaurs? Like, no. When they (laughs) announced, like, ooh, we might have found dinosaur DNA, people are like, make dinosaur! Like, no! I mean, if if you have the chance to make a dinosaur, you're going to make a dinosaur. Don't fucking make a dinosaur. We have three movies about why you should not fucking make a dinosaur. <laughs> I mean, Ian Malcolm had the real question. Everyone wants to make one, but you didn't start to think, should you make one? Listen, if I could ride a Triceratops to work every day, I would not be terribly <laughs> mad about that. But also, you know what a Triceratops isn't going to do? Eat a Let person. <laughs> they might step on a person. They might accidentally gore a person with one of their big horns, but they're not going to eat a person. Sometimes cars run over people, too, and we don't ban cars. I'm I'm here for sensitive, thoughtful Triceratops ownership, okay? So, Kat, you're going to be John Hammond 2K22. No, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna be more like the head of the vampire family from Twilight, where I'm like, well, we're vegetarian, so it's fine. Right, I'm, we're gonna get you a white linen suit with a straw hat, and, and that's gonna wait, be your outfit for the whole summer. Wait. So you have the straw hat already. We just gotta get you the white linen suit next. 
Yeah. Uh, so anyway, if you want to back us on uh, the uh, payment platform of your choice. <laughs> Hilarious. We're here for that uh, colonizer energy this summer, I guess. Um, <laughs> enter enter into everything with the confidence of a mediocre white man who brought dinosaurs back from the dead. <laughs> who happens to look like Santa Claus. Live from an undisclosed location in a basement in New York City, it's me, Crank, ruler, well, mayor of Dimension X and the producer of the hottest new pod in that dimension or this one, the Shredhead Pod, starring the Blasian Batty, aka Google Chrome Dome, aka Ado Nobu Nigga, aka my best friend, Oroku Saki. A.K.A. The Shredder. And we put aside our differences with the Ninja Turtles to be your weekly source of hot takes, sports, and entertainment news. Stay all the way and hear who Saki is named as his Cretan of the Week. And find something valuable in the Shred Commendations. So we'll see you on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever your pods are cast. The Shredhead Pod is a member of the Hyphen Podcast Group. Well, speaking of Spielberg attached things, Back to the Future. I I love this movie. <laughs> Tell us why you love it. So, for me, it's like the quintessential sick day movie. Okay. Like, you're homesick, what do you want to turn on in case you fall asleep in the middle and you can wake up and know exactly what's going on? It's Back to the Future. And so I actually saw this movie for the first time, I think, in Spanish in the Dominican Republic. <laughs> See. And the thing that's really funny is you can track it really well visually. You don't really need to, like, yeah. know what's going on to know what's going on. Yeah. Like, my – this is pseudo-related, I promise. Uh, my grandmother spoke very little English. She mostly spoke Italian, and she really loved My Name is Earl because she could tell everything that was going on in the television show My Name is Earl <laughs> based That's on the physical random. comedy of the characters. Yeah. But because every character was kind of overacting and and doing big expressions with their faces and their bodies, she could tell what was going on. And that's yeah. Back to the Future does that too, except it's like a lot more palatable. Like it's a very, you know, obviously Christopher Lloyd is doing the most, but like <laughs> that kind of works with who he is. And because Marty is kind of doing the least, it works. But also I got to say, like, why are they friends? Why not? Okay. When you were in high school, <laughs> how many 70 no. year old white man <laughs> friends did you have? Uh, I, <laughs> Did you have any friends that were considered disgraced scientists and possible enemies of the state? I, I don't think I had friends over fucking 30. <laughs> like, there are, there, yeah, anyway. So, like, I just want to know. So, are like, you saying we, we need the pre-to-the-future movie? Is that what you're I, saying? No, I just need, like, one throwaway line that was like, I taught Marty to drive! Like, or something. Like, I... He interned at my at my uh, laboratory one summer. I helped him with his biology homework. Um, like it, you know, whatever. <laughs> but regardless, I think the movie is really. First of all, just like you can learn everything you need to learn about the movie from that opening pan scene. Oh yeah, definitely. So like, I feel like Zemeckis is 
this is something that Zemeckis is still really good at, even though the movies he has employed it in are not really good, where he'll do these tracking shots in the opening, and that's like all the world building you get, but that's enough. Yeah. He does it in his weird, creepy animated movies. You you know everything you need to know at the end of them. Yeah. And like, that's kind of very artful. Like, it's that's a very, that's not an easy thing to do. You know, and then sometimes he does it too much, like in his version of A Christmas Carol, where every ghost gets a pan shot to establish what they're doing. <laughs> and by the end of it, you're like motion sick. But I don't know. Some of it's also the soundtrack, the like aesthetic that's almost dated, but because it's a little bit off the wall, it's like a, a fantasy version of the 80s, even though it's still very 80s. <laughs> yeah, it's like almost too 80s. Like, like this is like super heavy 80s. Yeah, it is. But it also, like, everything about it seems just slightly like a dad being, like, describing the 80s. (laughs) And because of that, it, like, gives it this weird fantasy quality throughout. Yeah. The tightness of the plotting of everything in it, much like in Jurassic Park, I think, like, no no moment is wasted. Very much so, yeah. I think it's like an hour 45. It's not a full two hours, I don't think. Uh, 116 minutes, so right. just under two hours. Yeah, you get all that in under two hours. Yeah. Like, even Jurassic Park, which I love, like, it's a long movie. I like it. I will watch it, you know, whenever I come into a room and it's on, I'll sit down and watch it. But, like, the fact that you, you get all this action and you get this, like pseudo romance that has to become a real romance even like biff tannen in this <laughs> movie i like so much better than biff tannen in two and three. Oh hell yeah yeah because like the idea that biff tannen basically becomes donald trump is funny but like i don't think that that is how he's really set up yeah yeah you know so i like the idea that he's a kid who like basically seems like he can't even read and he's, like, taking advantage of this kid that he knows he's physically stronger than to, like, yeah. basically not flunk out of school, which is, like, what bullies, especially in, like, the 50s, were kind of known for doing. And so he wants the girl, and when he sees that Mr. McFly is about to get her, he wigs out, and, like, it, it all kind of makes sense with a guy who's got more, like, muscles than sense, Everything that he does, even though it's, like, evil and bad, feels very, like, in character. Yeah. And and same with the mom. And, like, nothing about it feels like he had to, like, suddenly do something to fix it. I think the one character people may have issue with is George McFly. But I actually don't because, I like, I think he's a little bit of a caricature of, like, super anxious people. But if you've met anxious people, you know that they act like that sometimes. Lorraine, my density has brought me to you. What? Oh, what I meant to say was... Wait a minute. Don't I know you from somewhere? Yes. Yes. I'm George. George McFly. I'm your density. I mean, your destiny. But also, like, he's got, he's like a kicked puppy. 
Like yeah. he knows what happens if he tries literally anything. Yeah. And he's just been hit one too many times. He doesn't want to do that again. So it's a mix of like the anxiety of just like being a generally anxious person coupled with, well, the last couple of times I tried to be brave, I got hit twice as hard. Yeah. Like it's it's a very like I, I get it. And I think Crispin Glover does a really good job. Get he's a very weird man. Oh, he's, he's a weird man. <laughs> Uh, is he bad weird or weird no, weird? No, he's just like, I think he like lives in a castle in Scotland and like only comes out sometimes and like doesn't really make movies anymore. He doesn't like know how to be a celebrity. He kicked David Letterman in the face one time. Oh, wow. Yeah, if you if you Google Crispin Glover, the first thing that comes up is what happened with Crispin Glover on Letterman. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But then he like was like, I'm retiring. I'm only going to do like art that is like art. And then he did the Charlie's Angels movie in 2000. <laughs> so like. It, it, <laughs> the Bills guy get paid, man. <laughs> yeah. But also like he was younger than Michael J. Fox when he was in Back to the Future. I was looking at those ages. That's so funny. And speaking of Michael J. Fox, this movie it does not work if Eric Stoltz is still Marty McFly. No. Oh, absolutely like, not. Ha- have you seen the like the deleted scenes? Yep. They're fucking terrible. Oh my god. Yeah, no, they're they're not good. I'm trying to describe like how good this movie is in a way that doesn't sound like terribly cliched, and I'm honestly really struggling because like. You buy in pretty much immediately just because the tracking shot is cool and the music is great. And you're like, yes. And then like Michael J. Fox is incredibly charismatic. Doc is just like weird, but you care about him. But then he is immediately dead. (laughs) But then he's immediately brought back. Well, because it's the past. Um, Yeah. So you have to watch him try to reestablish his relationship that like by the time like we realize like. When he goes to try to talk to Doc to reestablish his relationship with him in the past, like, you realize they must have had, like, a years-long friendship. Like, I don't know if he, like, taught them seventh-grade science or what, but, like, they are clearly people who have known each other for a long time. So you also get to see him struggle with the fact that his friend isn't his friend anymore, but also, like, he's 16 and he's got stuff to do. So, like, there's all this stuff that's still really well encapsulated in this, like, frenetic energy of being 16. He does a really good job of capturing the franticness of teenagerness. But also, like, when he gets a chance to, like, claim credit for Johnny B. Good, totally just, Whoa. like, that. Yeah, that's, I think, the thing that has aged the worst in this the movie. Worst. Um, yes. But, like, he still takes that chance to, like, enjoy himself because, like, that's what teenagers do. He's like, this is the most important, like, day of my life. And if I screw this up, then I will have never been born. Oh, but wait, I just learned how to play this cool song on guitar. Like, <laughs> and that all seems yeah. very a piece, you know? Yeah, it's, it's perfectly balanced. It's perfectly paced. It's an 80s movie, but it doesn't really sink into the cocaine-ness of the 80s which is really remarkable for a movie about time travel. It, it, it has well, enough sentiment and enough heart that you I really buy like into all the characters, too. Whoever pitched the script initially, probably on a bunch of coke. He's like, what if we went back to the future? And people were like, no, you can't. That That's not how time works. And he's like, no, it is. Let me explain. 
then he's like, and then he tries to fuck his own mom, and everyone's like, uh, and then, and then everyone like sobered up and looked at all the notes, and we're like, okay, what if we moved it a little bit like this way, and then did a little bit of that, like, the next morning they put all the note cards in the right order, and And like, actually, Spielberg involved as well, oh, yeah. It feels weird in a lot of ways to say things about Zemeckis because of the weirdness of Zemeckis's later work. He really got caught up in the like beautiful toys like mindset. And I feel like Ang Lee has too in his own like a lot of the directors that are like older now, mostly older men, have like gotten very caught up in like what what can I do that I can't actually do? <laughs> and so Ang Lee yeah. like creates these hyper weird narratives in a hyper realistic high frame rate that like no movie theater can actually show in the way that he intends. And Zemeckis (laughs) does all these weird animation things that somehow has like taken the entire heart out of the story by accident. And like this movie has so much heart. All of his early movies have so much heart. I would say Roger Rabbit. Yeah. But also I think Roger Rabbit is the beginning of the end for him. Because that's when he starts leaning into those, playing with those toys. We got Death Becomes Her, which is a little bit what you're talking about, and Forrest Gump, which is, Forrest Gump's entertaining, but it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. But also, he uses a lot of, like, technology to add Forrest into those shots. He does a lot of stuff there to, like, whatever. Like, Castaway, he doesn't really do it as much. Your Uh, favorite movie, The Polo Express. <laughs> but like that one, Beowulf, Welcome to Marwin, even The Walk, which is actually pretty good, but is entirely done on these like weird CGI sets. A Christmas Carol, like it just reaches a point where everyone like I, I feel like I'm like, OK, like I get that you want to play with the technology, but why did you pick like Beowulf as your thing to adapt? I guess and, he's going to do a live action Pinocchio. Yes, with Tom Hanks. Woof. Which honestly, the the footage I've seen from it so far, they just released a teaser of it. Like it's it falls very much into the same bucket as the other Disney live action remakes, which is like you don't need to exist and I resent that you do. But I feel like this one at least has like an interesting visual style. Like it seems like it's got direction. But if you <laughs> if you read the like he gave an interview around the time that he made Beowulf where everyone was like, why did you choose Beowulf? And he was like, oh, I didn't. I asked Neil Gaiman to write a script that we could never, ever make. And he came to me with a Beowulf adaptation, and I just started making it. And, like, that makes sense. Like, it seems like he was picking his projects based on, like, how to construct them instead of, like, how how to make a movie, you know? Yeah. And that's sucky, because the movies that he made and he, he orchestrated, like, a film are really good movies. Yeah. But then when he starts falling into the toy box, like, it's just about the toys. Oh, man. So we kind of agree that Back to the Future is the best thing that he gave us. What would you say would be number two and number three? Because I think for me, number two is Roger Rabbit. I think number three is Death Becomes Her. I definitely agree with the one and two there. Have you ever seen Death Becomes Her? No, I have not. Oh, it's such a fun movie. I think you would dig it. It's really fun. On guard. <sighs> Bitch. Girls, girls. Let's just calm down. I'm sure we can settle this peacefully and... The... What? 
Honestly, I get that it's not a very good movie, but I really like Back to the Future 2. No, well, so, okay, so my letterbox ratings of the, of the Back to the Future trilogy, one is five stars, mm-hmm. two two is four stars, and three is three stars, so yeah. obviously, like, diminishing, whatever, but, and Back to the Future 2 is extraordinarily convoluted, like, mm-hmm. if you think about it for three seconds, your brain may crack. Oh, it's terrible, <laughs> but, like, but it it's also... so much fun, it's so fun. Even though it's not well made, it's cons- like it's beautiful. Oh, actually, no, I take it back. I think it's I Want to Hold Your Hand, which is his first like movie that he made, which is about six or there's four girls and two boys who are trying to see the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. OK, all right. And one of them is about to get married and she's like clearly having some stuff with that. Uh, And one of them is trying to convince one of the girls to date him. And he is clearly having some stuff with that. And it's just all about that. Okay. And it's very weird and very good. And I I like it a lot. And it's definitely a movie that like would not get made today. Okay. But but back to Pichu 2. Oh, it's a mess. But it's such a like well-constructed mess. I mean, the the sneakerhead in me obviously loves the mags. Like it's it's iconic status with those shit. So yeah, I think for me, like these are the real gateways to like my love for science fiction. And I I'm very certain I saw two before I saw one. Uh, but even still, like these are really kind of prevalent movies that get me really fucking with, with science fiction. Yeah. And, and I don't think you rated it on Letterboxd, so I'm assuming you would say five stars for Back to the Future 1 also. Yeah, I, I think so. The funny thing is, I rated it five stars. So one of the things I did in COVID, which you got to keep your mind occupied, I tried plotting out the actual timelines of all the movies. And I kind of figured that whenever Doc goes in the future at the end of the movie, actually, not even, whenever Marty goes back, and he's in 1985 again. I don't think he's in his same universe. I think he's in a different universe. So I think Doc Brown actually invented a way to travel to multi dimensions. <laughs> probably, but probably not on purpose. Oh, oh hell no! Because it, at the end, when he goes to the future in that dimension, Marty and Lorraine are technically gone. And so, but when they go to the future, they just have his whole life. So I think they went to a different universe. And I think because that 1985 version of Marty travels in time, he is then trying to get back to his version of 1985. And so he's create like these create like an infinite time loop of different yeah. Marty's trying to get back to their different realities. So and so I I plotted out all three movies and part and back to the future two. It's so convoluted. That's a, <laughs> so definitely similar to what a different friend of mine did, where he plotted every scene of the MCU in chronological order. Okay. But, like, some movies have scenes that take place in, like, if you look at it, there's, like, literally, like, some scenes are 30 seconds, and they're completely out of context, so the rest of their films are, it's very cool, but it's, like, a spreadsheet. Okay. I mean, that's um, pretty intense. Yeah. <laughs> He he runs a podcast called Escape from Vault Disney. Uh, we've never like met, but we're like internet friends or internet friendly, I guess. We've we've spoken. I don't know. What do you call someone when you have fairly regular Twitter correspondence, but like you're not like friends? Like we don't like DM. Like I don't know. 
whatever that is. <laughs> Internet friends. It's <laughs> kind of what it is, I guess. My daddy's podcast is called Hyphenation. It's the world's greatest podcast. Barack Obama proofed. On Hyphenation, my daddy talks about all kinds of cool things. And sometimes I'm on the podcast too. Sometimes he has his friend Marcus on. Sometimes he stays up really late and he's tired the next day. But it's worth it. But he loves his podcast and I love his podcast. So I really want you to listen to Hyphenation. So daddy doesn't get sad. He really doesn't get sad though because he has me. Alright, please listen to Hyphenation. Thanks y'all. I love the podcast. So please, please, please try to join. But if you know it. But speaking of things that we need to keep in rotation, because this is Pride Month, Mm -hmm. and we are a movie podcast, or so we think we are, (laughs) I wanted to get a couple of your suggestions for some flicks that people should be watching this month. And not only this month, but, you know, throughout the year. Uh, So what are a couple of uh, queer, queer queer-coded movies that you recommend for the folks to watch? So I have three movies. They are all documentaries, and they're all available on streaming that I think people have right now. And uh, they should be watched by people. One is Paris is Burning. HBO Max has the Criterion Collection remaster, uh, which I don't think is done in 4K, but I think it's in 1080p, and it's beautiful. Like, it is, like, painstakingly well done. They even, like, remastered the whole soundtrack. It's really good. If you've seen it before, like, go see it again with these brighter colors and, like, the, the better mixed music. Like, it's... Whew. Yeah. So, uh, so, for those who don't know, Paris is Burning is this documentary that followed uh, these ballroom attendees uh, in the 80s in New York City and how they build up ballroom culture. And if you ever watch Pose, even though Pose is fiction... This it's quasi based off these individuals, and, and also it's... RuPaul's Drag Race references it all the time. So if you have watched RuPaul's Drag Race and wondered what they, you know, there's a episode where the queens all read each other, and RuPaul will go <laughs> in the great grand tradition of Paris is burning. Reading is what fundamental. Like, <laughs> its fingerprints are all over queer culture, the club scene itself, and the documentary. And it's it's worth I think really investing in. Yeah, we we both gave it five stars on Letterbox. When I reviewed it, I wrote gritty, beautiful, and heartbreaking because it's all three of those things and much more. So. But also, if you enjoy any of the party aspects of Pride, pretty much all of those were taken from ball culture. Yeah. Show some respect. The other one that I have that this is actually a mini series, um, and I feel like it did not get enough attention. Also on HBO Max is The Lady and the Dale. Uh, The Dale was a car that was being pitched in the 70s, and it was maybe a scam or maybe just poorly run. Who's to say? But the founder of the Dale automobile was a trans woman. Oh, yeah. And a lot of it is about some of her life and, and her as a person and maybe being a huckster. But a lot of it is also about how unfair her treatment was by the justice system when it did finally catch up with her. And also a lot of it is about Tucker Carlson's dad being a shit. Um, I mean, that tracks. Because he made it like a personal mission to ruin this woman's life. And it's really well done. It's also made by, like, the the executive guy on it. 
I don't know if he's the director or just like the guy who like compiled all the stuff uh, is from New Hampshire. It's I think four parts. It's really good. It's worth checking out in my opinion. Also, I went for documentary stuff because I feel like there's been like a boom in like, oh, blue is the warmest color. Oh, I watch Euphoria, like whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not really here to do that. Yeah, I'm going to go independent cinema for my picks. So I'm nice. going to go opposite of that. Um, I feel like uh, the last one is going to be Howard on my list. This is on Disney Plus. It's about Howard Ashman, who wrote a bunch of your favorite Disney songs and died of complications from HIV AIDS. His story is really heartbreaking and sad, but also like he was able to share so much beautiful music with the world and like Disney, which is a company that now unfortunately like can't get out of the idea. Like they they're they've done some things that are pretty homophobic. I do think they're starting to move in the right direction. But like they took a chance on like a very known out gay man in the 80s and it is the reason that we have the Little Mermaid soundtrack. It is the reason that we have Beauty and the Beast. It is the reason we have Aladdin and all these other soundtracks that you love. Yeah. But it still happened the way that it happened. And it's a really beautiful documentary. It's really tastefully made. And I think that, you know, it's important to remember the people who came before and like Paris is burning and Lady in the Dale are about that a little bit. But one of the things that I really just like about Howard though, is like the mega corporation shying away from telling its own queer history. Yeah. And going so far as to say, this is family friendly actually, because there are families that look like this and that's okay. Which is not insignificant. I'm also going to throw out there, this is a mockumentary, and we've talked about this at length on the show before, but, like, go watch The Watermelon Woman, you heathens. Um. <laughs> Hilarious. So, so actually, yeah, so the three movies I want to recommend, they're, they're in the vein of, like, queer, queer directors and independent film. So the first movie that I would recommend is 1994's Go Fish. That movie is directed by Rose Trochet, and it's about these um, this group of lesbian friends, and two of them are kind of in these sort of weird situations to where they're kind of transitioning out of sort of bad relationships, uh, but they end up together, and it's not necessarily hijinks ensue, but this movie is actually extraordinarily funny. It's really witty, really well written. Um, it's shot in black and white, so... Like the 1994 black and white, you can kind of think of like Clerks or whatever, uh, but it's actually funnier than Clerks and a little bit smarter than Clerks. So I recommend 94's Go Fish. Go Fish, you can actually stream it for free on Tubi or Pluto TV. The next movie I'm going to recommend is the exact opposite of that. And by the title, you can tell it's called Totally Fucked Up by uh, Greg Araki. And and I'll let you hear how he describes how he directed this film. He called this movie a ragtag story of the fag and dyke teen underground, kind of a cross between avant-garde experimental cinema and queer John Hughes flick. It's <laughs> it's like really out there, but it's really dark, but mm-hmm. it's at least an honest portrayal of kind of what sort of destitute poor queer folks kind of were going through in the early 90s so i would definitely recommend totally fucked up i don't think you can actually stream it anywhere i think you have to you know maybe on a leg scene or something like that but if you can find it i would definitely recommend finding that one it does look like you can stream it on amazon you can buy it on amazon and canopy as well okay cool 
And the third movie that I'm going to recommend is from the year 2000, and it's called The Broken Hearts Club, a romantic comedy. And this came out in 2000, and I legit have not seen this since 2000, 2001. And I rewatched it uh, yesterday or the day before. And I don't think I've ever seen at least this early to where it was basically a gay rom-com. And one of the things kind of in the 90s to where if you wanted to have kind of mainstream cinema, you had to have like queer men. They had to either be virus victims or hags to straight mm-hmm. women. And so they were never really given depth. And the Broken Hearts yeah. Club, it's about this group of, of uh, gay men in L.A., but they all have a lot of heart, a lot of depth to what their relationships are to each other and to who they are in general. I think the movie, even in itself, I don't think it kind of recognizes even what it has uh, because <laughs> there's there's one plot point where Zach Braff, of all people, who has bleached hair and wearing jinkos the entire movie. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I know, it's, it, it really threw me off for five minutes. It, it's, it's a lot to deal with visually, but it was one part where he said that all we do is argue and complain about our lives, but I would actually say that that's actually a misinterpretation of what their relationships are. And for their friend group, throughout the whole movie, they're like super supportive and encouraging of each other. And yeah, like they rise each other, they're friends, like they're honest about, you know, what each other's going through. And they're not afraid to kind of talk about that with each other. So, I mean, if you have friends, like I would much rather have that kind of friend group than not. So I think it's a pretty good movie. I think other than that part, I think the biggest drawback of that is there are maybe one too many straight actors in it. It starts Timothy Oliphant. Yeah, I'm seeing that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it does start a 30-year-old Billy Porter, which wow. Billy Porter at 30 years old was very shocking, uh, but it was still great. He's great in it. And like I said, it is a rom-com, so there are parts of it that the comedy of it may be slightly exaggerated, but I still think it's a pretty decent movie to kind of watch. Uh, I gave it a three and a half out of five on Letterboxd, so I think, it, I think it's kind of worth it just to kind of if you want a movie about queer folks that's not super dramatic or, you know, super about, down, so yeah. I would kind of check that out. So Yeah, that sounds really good, actually. I just added it to my watch list. There you go. But before we go, though, one movie that I've been clamoring for you to watch, you finally watched a few months ago, and I need your takes on Bound. Oh, it was really good, and I liked it a lot, and I'm probably going to watch it later. Nice. My friend suggested we watch it because we do, like, group-watched movie nights together. Yeah. And I don't know why I was, like, thinking it was going to be kind of grosser than it was. Really? Yeah. I I really feel like I was slightly, like, misled. Like, I thought it was kind of going to be a little, like, kind of skanky, I guess. <laughs> um, and it's it's not. Um, it's not quite romantic either like it is in some ways I would say that generally it's kind of like dingy and like a little bit like gross but not in like a a, like slutty or voyeury way I think I was really worried about it being like voyeuristic like that to me I was and that was part of my hesitation then I was like oh it's not like that like aha 
man, I love Bound, man. Like, that's... It made the top 100. That is also another movie, though, in the great tradition where I feel like everything is very meticulous and not a frame is wasted. Very much so. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think that they do a beautiful job with that. And now the Wachowskis are sisters. So it's, <laughs> it's like Pride Month in a like Pride Month in a Pride Month wrapper. But it's a surprise <laughs> Pride Month inside. Um. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. The layers of Pride Month, uh, they peel apart. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, man. Uh, happy Pride, fuckers. <laughs> happy Pride, bitches. Follow Cat at Cat underscore Chinetti on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Follow Marcus at Show and Mad Love on Twitter and Letterboxd. Follow the show on Twitter at Cat and Mark. Be sure to read us at catseasmovies.tumblr.com and themarkrob.wordpress.com. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenley. Thanks for listening. We should do this again sometime. This is a hyphen podcast production. Are you not entertained? Guess you guys aren't ready for that yet. But your kids are gonna love it.